0: Lord, we thank you for this season of the year, which reminds us to look both ways. We thank you that you've given us this season of preparation, and we just ask, Lord, that we would prepare well, according to your word, not ours. And we ask that you would think our thoughts now, that my words would be yours, that you would take our wills and bend them to your own take every single one of our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, as I mentioned at the welcome, this is the Sunday of peace of the Advent season, and in a world that seems to have gone off the rails, uh, peace is not the operative word in our day, is it? There's no consensus on how to attack this pandemic 18 months later than when it launched. Inflation is at the highest rate since I was a kid in the 70s. Not to mention negligent parents buying a disturbed teenager a semi-automatic handgun who goes into school. And the administration didn't even ask what was in the handbag. Are you kidding me? That's what drove me out of education, by the way. All right. It drove me out because the parents, not the kids, were less parenting. And the only way I could affect parents was to affect families. And the only way that can affect families is through the good news of Jesus Christ. And when I told my principal that, he just scratched his head. I said, okay. <sighs> no, this, we have some good news. Even in the midst of this chaos that we find ourselves, the Lord comes to us with a message of peace, So I invite you to turn with me to, in your Bibles to the book of Malachi we're going to look at today. We're in this Advent series walking through the Old Testament passages of the lectionary. The great thing about the lectionary is all the, th- the readings are along a theme. The negatives of the lectionary is that it hops back and forth and you don't see the themes that are woven through each individual book that's being read. So with that in mind, we're going to look at Malachi this morning and give you a quick, bring you up to speed with where we are in chapter 3 so you can understand Malachi's point and what the Lord's point is making to his people. Malachi lived about 100 years after God's people had returned to Jerusalem from their Babylonian exile, and his message was directed to the people who were living in Jerusalem for some time. The temple had been built A while ago, and things aren't going all that well. When the Israelites first returned from the exile, when you read Ezra and Nehemiah, you recognize there was great expectations. They would rebuild their lives. They would rebuild the temple. The Messiah would come and set up God's kingdom over a unified Israel. And then that nation would bring justice and peace for all. And it didn't happen. The Israelites who repopulated the city proved to be just as unfaithful to God as their ancestors were. Resulting in poverty, injustice, all throughout the land. So in Malachi, we find out just how corrupt these people, this new generation of Israelites had become. Basically, God has beefs with his people. He's got six beefs to pick. You know, Uh, in biblical language, it's disputes. So they're called disputations. But just think of them, I got a beef, all right? He's got a problem with the way his people are living their lives. And so most sections of Malachi begin with God making an accusation, and then the people saying, say, what? You know, it's not us. You know, they disagree with him. Then God responds and offers the last word. There's six specific disputes. I'm only going to mention the first three that lead up to our fourth dispute, which he's responding to in today's reading that June read for you this morning. Um, The overall impression you get from these disputes and these arguments is that the exiles fundamentally didn't change at all. Israel's hearts are as hard as ever. And so therefore, the first dispute starts with God saying he still loves his covenant people, even though they're not faithful. And you know what they say back to him? How have you shown us any love? So God reminds them of how graciously he chose the family of Jacob. Their ancestor become the carrier of God's covenant instead of Esau, his brother. And the family that came from him eventually fell to ruin remembering the stories from Genesis and through the book of Obadiah. So from this first dispute, Israel is exposed as suspicious, doubting God's love and doubting God's faithfulness. The second dispute exposes a problem in Israel's second temple worship. God accuses the people of not worshiping properly, despising the temple. And they say, how have we despised you? He responds by focusing the people how they're bringing shamelessly lame animals for sacrifice. You're supposed to bring an unblemished lamb. They're they're bringing blemished lambs, crippled lambs that show they don't value nor honor God at all. And it's not just the people. The priests are accepting it. The priests are practically encouraging it. Right? And they're participating in this corrupt form of worship. So from top to bottom, God's people are proving faithless. The third dispute, God accuses the Israelite men of treachery against him and against their wives because there's been a wave of adultery and divorce going on. Because so many of the men in that time of Malachi's age are marrying foreign women. Not that it's a bad thing to marry a foreign wife, but what comes along with that is her worldview. And what God is pointing out to Malachi is, Now you call yourself my people, and yet you're worshiping foreign gods. And the people are okay with it. The priests are okay with it. They're not challenging God's people whatsoever from the word of God. So Malachi connects Nehemiah 13 to this wave of men divorcing their wives. Malachi speaks out and says, "No, it's a betrayal of your covenant with God to marry an unbeliever." And Malachi transitions from the second set of, to the second set of disputes to confront Israel's rebellion. So we arrive at this one today, which we didn't read. At the end of chapter two, the messenger of the Lord says, "You have wearied the Lord with your words." And they say, how have we wearied you? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? We hear that today. How can God be a good God to allow this evil to occur? Right? So God responds and says, this evil will not always be. How? Two points. Number one, A messenger will be sent to the Lord to prepare your way. And two, the results of such preparation for God's people. First, the messenger to prepare the way. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Does it seem surprising to you that God sends a messenger instead of just speaking? This is what God has always done. He's always appointed a person representing him to God's people. From Moses to Elijah to Isaiah. Last week we heard Zechariah. He's always chosen anointed people, put his anointing on them to speak the truth to God's word. Because he's always chosen to partner with his people. To reveal to them who he truly is and what he's called them to do, as a herald to prepare the way. So he says, Prepare the way of the Lord. That's interesting. I send my messenger to, to prepare the way before me. We heard in Isaiah, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in a desert a highway for our God. What does it mean for us to prepare? I would suggest four things this Advent season. Four things to help us prepare for Christmas, to keep our heads up with the hope of our Lord's return. First, let us first meditate on the neat fact that we all need a Savior. Christmas is an indictment before it becomes a delight. We'll hear on Christmas Day, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Luke chapter 2. If you don't need a Savior, you don't need Christmas. Uh, Christmas will not have its intended effect unless we feel desperately the need for a Savior. Let these Advent readings on Sundays, our Advent devotional, we have 16 left. I encourage you to take N.T. Wright's devotional, $16. They're great. It's rich. You'll enjoy it. You'll grow in the Lord and your love for him. Let these Advent readings and devotions awaken you with a bittersweet sense of need for a Savior. Two, let's engage in this Lenten season, Lenten season, Advent season, a sober self examination. Because Advent is to Christmas what Lent is to Easter. You notice we don't sing happy, clappy songs that are a song of celebration in Advent. What do we sing? Holy God, holy mighty, holy mortal one, have mercy upon us. It's a penitential season. It's not as penitential as Lent, but it's penitential nonetheless. We pray in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, It lead me in the way everlasting. We sing it Christ- in Christmas, let every heart prepare him room. How do we do so? By cleaning house. By self-examination. And by making sure we're right before the Lord, making straight in the desert a highway for our God and our own hearts. That's secondly. Let's do a sober self-examination. Third, build God-centered anticipation in our household for our kids and our grandkids. I can say that now, grandkids. It's 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 a it's 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 a new thing. I'm getting used to it. It's a good thing. If you're excited about Christ, they will be excited too. If you can only make Christmas exciting about the material things, how will the children ever get a thirst for God? Let let us take initiative to bend our. The efforts of our imagination to make wonder for the king's arrival on Christmas Eve. Let's make that visible for our children and our grandchildren. And fourth, we can prepare by making much of the scriptures of the season. As I mentioned earlier, get a devotion, memorize a passage or two, memorize the great Linus passage, you know, Luke chapter 2. You know, lights, please. You know, right? Unto you is born in this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Memorize that, learn it. We prayed that this morning. Did you catch it in the college? It's my favorite one of the year. Advent 2. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. It means we eat them, we chew on them, we take them in. Let's memorize them. Gather around that fire this Advent season. Jeremiah says, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord. Let us gather around that fire this Advent. It's warm. It's sparkling with colors of grace, and it's healing for a thousand hurts amidst the chaos, and it brings us peace in dark nights. That's how we can prepare. And what's the result of such preparation? Well, Malachi tells us, he says in verse 2, But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? Because Malachi knows the holiness of God. Well, he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. The refiner's fire, as you may well know, was used to purify metal and refine it by melting it and allowing the dross which floated to the top to be scooped off so you could have pure silver. The fuller is the ancient dry cleaner. If you couldn't get a spot out of your clothes, you took your clothes to the fuller, where they had some type of, wood bark soap, I don't know, some type of soap to get the spot out. You paid them, and they worked, and you didn't get it back until it was clean. Like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap, in preparing ourselves this way, he makes us pure and holy before his presence. He will come like fire, and he will purify his people. And in Malachi's day, as we've heard, he will remove the idolatry. Those idols that we put up that really don't satisfy whatsoever. The sexual immorality, the injustice, so that the faithful remnant is left to be his people. Verse 4, then he says, And the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the day of old, as In the former years. That God will be present with his people. We'll be pure before him. And through such preparation, he makes us pure before his presence today. And therefore, we have peace. No matter what's going on around us. God's people have testified in the midst of chaotic times that kind of peace. Did you know the night before Nicholas Ridley was burned at the stake. You've heard me say that story. Latimer and Ridley. Latimer turned to him and said on October sixteenth, 1555, be a good cheer, Master Ridley. For this day we shall light such a candle in England by God's grace shall never be put out. And then they were burned for believing in teaching and leading God's people in the Church of England at that time. What we believe, that salvation is by grace, through faith in Christ alone, and we're called to read, mark, learn, and eagerly digest the word of God. He was just, the Reformation had taken off, and he was one of the leaders of it, so he had to die for that. And his brother, on October 15th, offered to sit with him through the night to comfort him in his prison chamber. And Nicholas Ridley declined. He replied that he's going to go to bed as quietly as he ever did in his life. It's okay. He knew the peace of God. He could rest in the strength of the everlasting arms of the Lord to meet his need that night and into the fire. So can we. So as we wait and we prepare, let's get Malachi's perspective and let's get Luke's perspective. (laughs) Think about it. Between Malachi and the messenger arriving in Luke 3, 400 years go by. 400 years. All right. I mean, think about that. Alexander the Great and his empire has come and gone. The Jewish revolts, including the one that commemorates Hanukkah, has come and gone. And the Roman Empire in Luke 3 has now come along. Julius Caesar arose and was killed. Generations have come and gone, and people were born and people died, including every last person Man, woman, and child who heard Malachi's message. Four hundred years plus. And so we read such spans of time in the Bible, and we don't even shrug. But when you put it into perspective, it's quite staggering. Four hundred years ago, it was sixteen twenty-one. America was just beginning to get be settled. 400 years from now, if the world is still here, it will be 2421. That's 100 years after when Star Trek happens. (laughs) That happened in 2300, you know. When we hear again the majesty of Handel's Messiah, we're moved from Malachi's he shall purify to the angel's song, glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. When we read it, it's just a half hour. But 400 years go by, and the centuries between these two passages evaporate into a streamlined story of salvation and peace. Of course, we don't have much choice but to tell the, whole, the holy story that way, so why am I making a big deal out of it? Because those long stretches of times are important in that they're all full of the grace of God for his people who Wait. And while they wait, they can have peace and hope. The conclusion of Malachi's message and the beginning of John the Baptist's message is this, is that God is full of grace and truth. and He desires to shine that grace upon us. Our sin is serious and we cannot wish it or wave it away and God will not either. So it's rather sad or even startling if you keep reading Malachi that it ends with the Old Testament word of curse. There's not enough tinsel, glitter, stringy lights that will cover up what happened on the cross because God did something about that curse on the cross. All you have to do is look behind me and look at it, see it, gaze on it. For the people in Malachi's day, God had faded a bit into the background. He wasn't the center of their lives, and so they didn't even try to give him their best. Malachi brought God back into focus by, among other things, reminding them of sin's weightiness. But that God would do something about it by sending a messenger to prepare. The book of Malachi reflects on the divine gift of the word of God. How they point us to the past to remember all that God has done in order to inspire faithfulness and hope in the future. Because if we will walk in the reality of these scriptures, we'll have the hope and peace. Not only this Advent and this Christmas, but for the rest of our lives into the future forevermore. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us this word in Malachi that tells us the truth about our human condition. And about our our selfishness and our rebellious nature. And how he wonderfully announced God's promise that he would send a messenger. And that messenger would show up in person with a baptism of repentance to restore his people and bring healing and justice to the land. We thank you for John. And above all, we thank you for our Lord Jesus to whom he points. And so, Lord, in that present peace and the future hope that we have and what the Bible is all about. May we walk in that reality as people of peace, reading, marking, learning, and inwardly digesting it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.